0: So if you're listening on the recording, there is a printed study guide that I've written that brings you up to tonight, and that's what's coming around. So I've given you lesson one, just a basic review of the key points from lesson one, a review of the key points from lesson two, and then there's indications on there of what I'll talk about tonight. So I'm gonna try to do that in order to keep myself consistent and also to make it a little easier on the people who are listening in Uh, if they're trying to figure out what the key point is and they're doing, you know, like most of the time when I listen to stuff like this, I'm mowing or something. So I'm always glad when I find out they've got a a PDF or something that I can download uh, later. So this is my best recollection of the key points of what we talked about the first two weeks. And you can see where I plan to go tonight. And then I will add to this one page at a time in, in future weeks so that you can do like I'm doing, three hole it and put it in a notebook or something. Okay, now before we begin, uh, George is not here tonight because he's in Seattle. So he's going to see, I think the Yankees play there. He's, he's one of these guys that's trying to see, try to see a game at every stadium in the country. I think it's cool. So he's got a friend there uh, fraternity brother. And uh, we are, anything major, significant that you'd like us to know about as your small group to pray over? I
1: have a
2: praise.
0: You have a praise? We love praises.
2: With down four
0: months or with awesome. Oh, so I yeah. <laughs> well,
2: he scared
1: me last night. Saving um, mercies
0: for me and my two girls Cincinnati Friday night. All right, all right, and wow, it's like I made exactly the right pound there. Mm-hmm. Um, what else?
1: I'd like prayers for my mother. For your mother? My mother is continuing to be at her wits end to try to figure out why she's not feeling well.
0: Okay. So:
1: We've been to multiple doctors, been in the hospital.
0: So Linda's praising God because she's feeling better, and you're praying that your mother will figure out why she's not. She's not. And we will. We'll pray about that.: thank you. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll start. Father God, I thank you for this group of people and for the privilege of being their pastor and their, their <clears throat> guide in this discussion. I ask, Lord, that while I facilitate, you accommodate us with the Holy Spirit so that what we learn is from you, that you are the author of the truth that we seek so that regardless of political opinions or the opinions of conservatives or liberals or whatever, that we get to the truth of the matter, that there are loads of truths in your book, that tell us about the way things are in our world. And if we'll just listen to the creator's description of the creation, we can learn a lot. So let us pray, let us be in that spirit as we seek your word today. And I ask your blessings on all of them, especially those who have named prayer concerns and rejoiced in praises. And uh, for all the unnamed things we join together as well in Jesus name, amen. All right. You decide to switch teams tonight?
2: Yeah. <laughs> you pass
0: it down yeah, we just happened to have one left, so I guess it was meant to, yeah. meant to be. All right, so again, what you have in front of you is a paper that I generated this week to describe the high points from the previous two weeks' discussions. This evening, we're going to get into the kind of specifics about this story of Hagar and Ishmael. And so even though we did kind of read this the first week, I'd like to hit it again. Let's just read chapter 16. It's not very long. And then we'll parse it out a little bit because as is typical of the Old Testament, there's an awful lot that happens between the lines and, and a lot of history that passes through. So. Does anybody like to read out loud that, you know, if you want to, you can, if not, I will? I can. Thank you. Go ahead and just give us the whole thing if you don't care.
2: Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, now, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, For mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, And she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarah. Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child. You will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called ber roy Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86
0: years old when Hagar
2: bore Ishmael
0: to him. Thank you very much. So in this story, um, you can see in verses 4 to 6 that Hagar had developed contempt for her mistress. Why do you think she developed an attitude towards her mistress?
2: Superiority complex. Yeah, I got pregnant, you didn't. <laughs> well, I think that too, she, I mean, she's, she's pregnant,
3: so she, see, she probably feels a very close connection. I mean, there's a lot of emotions that go along with, with being pregnant, so I'm mean, sure she feels very attached to him, even though he's a much older age, I think she has and she feels like she might even blame her mistress for what for to put her in that
0: position. What else? What else do you think might have been going on in Hagar's mind? Just think about raw human emotion and human personality and stuff like that. What, what do you think was motivating Hagar to have an attitude towards her mistress? Jealous? She's still
3: her mistress, and so her mistress is still in charge.
0: Yeah. And since she's the one
3: who got pregnant, maybe she's thinking I don't have to take orders from this one anymore.
0: So it kind of it kind of sort of ties into some of the things that have been said. So so if you sort of connect everything everybody said so far, she's basically got this attitude that her intimacy with Abram. Has given her a sort of upper hand where Sarah is concerned, because it produced a child, and so she kind of looks down upon Sarah because she's, you know, infertile, can't have a baby. Yeah,
3: so just like if you're a man and one person couldn't could conceive a child, he's less virile. So of course you have that. You feel like, you know, think he's, you know, not able to have, but I am. So I'm
2: more manly. I'm, I'm more of a and...
0: Well, and they're very aware, you know. Women, go ahead.
2: Women in that culture were valued for their ability to produce right. children.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and they understood just as much as anybody would that having that child made the child part hers which meant that the legacy that they were trying to achieve was now part hers. So she figures she's got she's going to get the legacy of the child and this lineage that would stem from that. And so, yeah, she seems to have a bit of an attitude because she feels like the roles have been reversed because of this pregnancy. So I just want you to know that I have a bias towards Abraham and Sarah, especially Sarah in this case. I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, So as much as I want to be completely, um, I just want to be transparent and tell you that I've already developed a bias in my personal study, so I may not reflect um, fairly on this. But my opinion is that Sarah was justified in being Put off by all of this and she goes to her husband and he says hey you're the man of the house take care of this you know this isn't how it's supposed to go she works for us she's she's our servant and she's she's getting all uppity with me and not doing what she's supposed to be doing and she's being disrespectful to me and you know yeah, it's a funny thing, because, boy, when, when Laura comes home from working at the school and she says some kid was all in her face, you know what I want to do. I said, I'm going to school with you tomorrow. We're going to straighten this kid out. <laughs> this lad will not talk to my wife that way, you know. And it's like you could say anything you want to me but get in my wife's face and you're going to deal with me. I, isn't that how it is? What's Abraham do? It's not my problem. You handle it. You're the head of the household. You You deal with it.
2: <laughs> She's your servant.
0: I got what I needed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it sort of sounds like that, doesn't it? And and so you kind of hear him blowing off his responsibility. and And I just think that Sarah's entitled to a certain amount of respect that she's not getting. And so she's sort of powerless in this case. So she does the only thing she knows to do. And what do you imagine she was doing to... Hagar that was really making Hagar I I mean I really want to unpack this for a minute Hagar is disrespectful condescending and apparently belligerent with Sarah Sarah says to her husband you need to get her straightened out on the roles here and who's who he blows off his responsibilities so out of frustration Sarah responds in kind and so you have this cold war going on between Sarah and Hagar. What would that look like? Let's just go ahead and imagine it in your mind. Let's, let's have a little mini drama here, you know. If you want to do a role play, that'd be fine. Anybody want to play Hagar? Anybody want to play Sarah? How do you suppose their interactions? And, and here's what I do. And if you've been in my Bible studies before, you know I like to do this. I always try to put things in visually and, and, and orally in terms that I couldn't relate to. So so I'm picturing a house like mine. And I'm picturing a house servant or a guest or maybe, um, you know, a a uh, uh, member of one of my siblings or my Laura's siblings household is living with us. And then somehow they start getting an attitude about doing their part, you know. And, and, and so let's just look at a house like yours and imagine that one's the servant, one's the mistress of the house. Both are doing their respective tasks, but they're doing it in a bitter way towards each other. What, what would that look like? What would it sound like?
2: I know I can, I can just hear Hagar saying, oh, I can't do that. What about the baby? I have to take care of the baby. Yeah. That would that could hurt me and that wouldn't be good for the baby. And then she would turn around and say under her breath, dried up old hag.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, now you're getting what I wanted you to do here. I knew I could count on you,
2: Julie. <laughs> and infertile, so she had no use for her.
0: Yeah. As most of society did not. Right. Right. I think the age significant. Yep. Like it's, it's important to remember that Hagar is probably young enough to be their granddaughter. hmm And so there's probably a lot of like teenage immaturity. She's probably a teenager. Not the boss of me. At the <laughs> oldest in early twenties. Yeah. Spoiled so That's the
3: true form of entitlement. When you think about it, he's entitled. To
0: a... Well, so we've decided that the rabbinic teaching is probably trustworthy and true, and therefore she's most likely almost certainly the daughter of Pharaoh. So she grew up in a Pharaoh's house. And now, you know, she's, you know, she comes in as a servant and then she gets this baby and becomes a member of the family because she's married to the husband, you know, to the, to the Abraham.
3: And like you were saying last week about how a lot of these people that come as servants are not from a poor family. Right. Maybe it's more for experience. Yeah. And like you said, you gotta remember that effect too. It's not like she's some like rags wearing, you know, yeah. she's, all like, um, she's not, she not she's, daughter, so, you know
0: I mean? she's not, she's not Cinderella you know, so she, yeah, she's not being oppressed in the sense that this was some ill treatment that she'd always gotten, you know, in fact, she just seems to have come to the conclusion that she has risen to her station in her new household, it seems. And what do you think Sarah did that was so hurtful? Please keep in mind that chapter 16 tells us that God heard her affliction. Now, Rabbi Lapin goes out of his way to say that there's a difference between, in the words that are used in Hebrew, there's a difference between God hearing the affliction and seeing the affliction. In The book of Exodus, it describes God seeing the affliction or the oppression. And by that, it means then that what God is seeing is beatings and and punishment and and overwork and, you know, all the things that go with slavery. But in this case, the word is hearing. So what is God hearing that brings the angel to say? And by the way, what's the first thing the angel says to her? He addresses her as Hagar, servant. First thing he says is puts her in her place. You are, in fact, Hagar, the servant. But God has heard your affliction. So it's like two things are being communicated at the same time. One says, yeah, you've been getting ill-treated. On the other hand, you are a servant and sort of implication is is that the angel wouldn't have had to remind her of that if it wasn't for the fact that maybe she'd forgotten yeah so so what is sarah doing that warrants the angel acknowledging on behalf of god to hagar that there has been some oppression heard
2: probably insulting her a lot yeah calling her name
0: yeah. And I wonder if a Pharaoh's daughter is accustomed to being called names. I wonder if a Pharaoh's daughter is accustomed to being um, talked to in a just, just sort of condescending way. Go get that. You know? I, when I was the associate pastor in Franklin, the senior pastor had been a friend of mine, and he had been the pastor that led me into ministry. But when I came to work with him at that church, I saw a side of him I never recognized before, and it was in the little things he said. He, he basically believed that the associate pastor was there to do his bidding, and he was probably right to some extent. And I had a little bit to learn about humility, and I honored that. But you know, he would say things, and I, and I would just tell him, you know, I'd say, can you not say please? Is that just not in your vocabulary? Do you know how to get someone to do something you want them to do without making it sound like you're the boss and by God, if you want to keep this job, you better do what I tell you? <laughs> and and his, <laughs> his argument was, is, you know, I shouldn't have to do that with you or anyone else, you know, and I finally, I said, look, It seems to me that being the pastor of a church is a little bit like being the father of a family, and you will probably betray your real nature to your family, even when you're putting on a really good show in front of your parishioners, and so all of us are thinking that the mic you see on Sunday morning is not the mic we work with on Monday morning. And I would just try to tell him, if you're really living this and preaching it and meaning it, then people should probably see it. And the lowest person on the staff at the church ought to feel as good about your faith and your walk with Christ as anybody that ever comes in contact with you. And I've tried to conduct myself that way as the pastor of a staff. And just that there's nobody on this staff, I hope, that would say, He doesn't really practice what he preaches. Hopefully they say, well, no, he's pretty much the same all the time. You know, rough around the edges, but got a heart of gold or something like that. That's what I hope, you know, because I don't claim to be perfect or anything. But I guarantee you that when I ask somebody to do something, even something that is expected, I say, would you please do that? Um, Can I expect that to be done by such and such a time? Great, thank you very much. I mean, there's a way you can get people to cooperate that makes them feel respected and appreciated, valued and accommodated because maybe they have other things stressing their lives and you've asked them to do something for you. With If you demonstrate an awareness that they have other responsibilities and things, you're showing them some basic kindness. And I'm saying that, not to say anything about myself, but it's just that when I read this story, I think about how I work with people who report to me and are responsible to me. And I imagine that it wouldn't take much, especially for someone who's particularly sensitive, to really start hating their job because there's just no grace, no kindness, no tenderness, no friendliness, no just nothing but contempt. But where did it start in this case? It started with Hagar she got pregnant and started mistreating her mistress right yeah,
2: she's a spy. She's
0: and then a spy. when the, yeah and then when the mistress tried to get dad to take care of it dad said you deal with it and let's talk about that for a second because it's an interesting thing too we have a lot of ladies around the table here men we're way outnumbered tonight ladies be honest how do ladies deal with conflict with each other? Especially in a setting like that. I'm not asking because I have the answer, I'm asking because I'm not going to be able to answer accurately. It
2: makes me think of high school drama. (laughs) Honestly, like, let's say I feel like a kid in here right
0: now. (laughs) That's all right, that's all right, you are. (laughs)
2: When a girl is dating a boy and maybe he breaks up with her and starts dating someone else, that new girl hates that old girlfriend for no good reason at all. Yep. And that's kind of what it feels like. And it's sort of, he's laughing at me. No, he's agreeing with you.
0: It's true though. Like, they don't know
2: each other, they don't know anything about each other except for what this one person in the middle has told each other about whoever. And it, it sort of makes me wonder if over time, like, it reminds me of that conflict between um, Saul and David, not to say that Hagar is David, but after a certain period of time, Saul stops calling David by his name. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't even call him David anymore. So he's just calling him the son of Jesse. So I'm wondering, mm-hmm. if Sarai did the same thing. Like, I'm going to dehumanize you and start calling you servant girl or whatever. Perfect.
1: That's a great observation. Any other thoughts on that? Well, they were both wrong. You know, she was wrong offering up her servant to Abraham, Amen. He, he she was wrong. Uh, you know, for you know, once she became pregnant, acting the way she was acting, and then Sarah again was wrong by, you know.
0: There was a. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I see a lot of. When I see women arguing or not getting along or they're mad at me, uh, <laughs> I see a lot of passive aggression. It's, it's very, it's an innuendo. It's, you know what I mean? Manipulation. It's just, yeah, it is. It, 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 yeah. it is. So you, I can tell, I mean, I'm divorced three times. I can tell my woman is not. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always been very passive aggressive, and especially
2: between the, each other. What's wrong with you? Nothing. Yeah, right? Are you sure I'm fine? You look out. <laughs> well, and, and I'm going out. In the nursing home, Oh, I have, you seen, I have that. seen a lot of women who are really good at manipulating, <laughs> really good at manipulating. Yeah. And when they succeed, oh, do their eyes light
0: up. Yep, yep. Okay, so so this is great. This This is great. So what we could agree on right now, I guess, in general, is fundamental problem was, as we just heard here, is that they thought maybe god wasn't going to get around to fulfilling god's promise mistake number one mm-hmm. they
1: substitute their judgment for it. Yeah.
0: right and i don't know that we can necessarily apply this in our lives because it seems like more of an old testament thing but in the old testament the one thing you hear over and over again is covenant 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 if god says i made a promise it's forever God's, pray, God's promises never get broken. We're living God's promises right now, even though we don't address them in the same way they do in the Old Testament. So, if God said to Abraham, "You're going to be the father of a huge nation," then it's going to happen. And and they lost track of that somehow. They started thinking that maybe now.
2: Well, be- and he also, God also said, "And Sarah is going to be the mother."
0: Yeah. So so here's. No, are you
1: saying
2: that that?
1: Sarai messed up God's plan?
0: No, but I am going to tell you something along those lines here a minute. But because because after all, this is about Islam and Israel, and I want to make sure I stay on that. But there is an important lesson here, though. Um, when we get impatient with God, don't we try to invent our own versions of God's plans?
1: <laughs> and that's when we said.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes we can convince ourselves we're acting within God's will because we've come up with a plan to fulfill what God's promised. But we didn't wait until God took care of it God's way. So what does, what, what is that? There's a very well-known passage, I believe, from Galatians that says God takes all of our messes and works them to God's good. That's a paraphrase, but, you know, he works everything for good. Doesn't mean everything's good. I really would advise you against using that phrase you hear some Christians say about uh, everything happens for a reason. That's not in your Bible. Those things don't happen for a reason. Or if they happen for a reason, the reason is, is we didn't wait on God or something like that.
2: Yeah, it's not God's fault.
0: God doesn't make everything happen. Those things happen and then God, with our cooperation, makes those things good. That's what the Apostle Paul says. What
2: exhausting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our lives? Done decisions
0: yeah and every day. Well, and yeah. so the whole premise in this particular story, I believe, up to this point anyway, is God says via the angel, who in this in Genesis, when an angel appears, it could be God, actually. It's very likely that it's Jesus in the precarnate pre-flesh. But in any case, God is communicating here. Well, you guys screwed up. And here's how it's going to go down. You know, I mean, and, and it's like God says. And this is what's really remarkable, because look at what he says. He, he corrects Hagar. He says, first of all, remember, you are the servant. Second of all, I've heard I've heard the oppression. And, and this, this is one of my favorite themes from Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. But if you don't know too many things about god one thing you can be sure of is god hates oppression god really hates oppression and oppression is basically whenever one with power oppresses or uses that power to negatively impact another i mean that's that's oppression so that can be uh that can be in a dysfunctional household a dysfunctional workplace it can be in a dysfunctional society it can be slavery, it can be all kinds of things. But if you hear God speak clearly in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, if there's anything that gets God's dander up, it's oppression. And so it does appear that Sarai got mad enough to be oppressive, to be, you know, like, oh, you missed a spot, do it all over again, that kind of thing. I mean, that's just oppression. That's that's just punishing her because you're mad at her and you don't like her attitude, you know? And and so it would appear that God is is not happy that Sarai has oppressed. And perhaps this is even a reflection on uh, God's opinion of their general decision-making process because now it's created this dilemma that we're still working out today, which is the gist of this class. So the other thing that God says to her is... Um, You're going to have a son. In fact, you're already pregnant. Oh, no. Wait, Let me back up a little bit because this is great. I love this. And Rabbi Lappening indicates that this is an important characteristic to keep in mind for future reference. He says uh, that the angel of the Lord found her near the spring and and said, uh, where have you come from and where are you going? And... She says, I'm running away from my mistress. Okay, think back to like, uh, Timmy and Lassie, Leave it to Beaver, I don't know, some old show. Um, uh, Kaylee, those are TV shows from back in the I ancient. The those movie. are prehistoric television shows. Okay, well, me too. But anyway, think about how, you know, the kid gets mad and gonna run away from home and, you know, he's about a block away from home and, and dad or somebody drives him. so where are you going? I don't know. Why are you running away? No, I don't know. Nobody cares about me. Nobody likes me. Think I'll go eat worms. Big, fat, juicy ones. Little, itty, bitty ones. Ones that wheel and squirm. You know that song? Yes. Okay, good. Good, yeah. So what's Sarah, what's, what's Hagar saying here? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me, right? And the angel says, where are you going? And she says, I don't know. Isn't that interesting? All she wanted was to get out from under Sarah's thumb and she's willing to put her life on the line and her unborn baby's life on the line because she's just... So I guess what I'm trying to say is we can't miss the fact that she's a little bit juvenile, a little bit temperamental here. Also, you
3: think maybe that's also more existential too? Like, where have you been and where are you going? Where are you going and where have you been? I mean, because if you think about it, you say God's larger plan, you know,
0: they're not thinking about that. It's like they're not even... Well, you can go there if you want, but <laughs> I, I'm not saying that it isn't true. I, I right. but, but I think what's interesting here is we've got a temperamental teenager who's just mad. Have any of you, and I don't mean to single out the women, but since we're talking about women here, have any of you in your youth? acted out your frustration with your parents or other people in authority over you and perhaps did something a little rebellious that had consequences. Has anybody ever done such a thing? You don't have to say so if you don't want to. No, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, I just remember when Jesus predicted that somebody was going to betray him and they were sitting at the table and they all said, not I not, or was it you? So that's what I see here. And it's and it's interesting because our decisions like this, they have consequences. There are some things that happen in your life because you acted impulsively that you live with for the rest of your life. Right. And they even have generational consequences. Right. It's true. It's it's inescapable. So. The angel says, so where are you going? And she says, I don't know. So the angel says, you know what? Pick your stuff up and go back. You're going to have a baby. Go back to them. Stay in your role. Keep your place. And then we don't hear anything for a while, except that before she goes. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but in my Bible, this is written in, in uh, indented, whatever, whenever you see the indentations in your Bible like this, where it's written in a sort of prose type, um, not just the literary style, but the, the, the way it's laid out in the page. Um, it's, it, it usually means one of two things, most often both. It either means that it's like a song or a poem that's repeated as a part of worship, which also indicates that chapter 16 was written down long after the events happened and that this has been supplementally added in order to complete the story that's the, so so the people who edited your bible and laid it out are trying to communicate to you that this is not unbiblical but that it's not part of the original narrative it's something that's been added because it's part of how they kept the oral tradition alive before there was a written tradition okay the indented part. yeah the indented part so whenever you're reading in your bible and even in the new testament you know you'll read uh, Oh, my favorite passage that that Paul writes is the one that where he says, "In Jesus' name, at Jesus' name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess Jesus is Lord." Well, that's actually a song. It's so he's quoting a song. He's he's quoting uh, a popular song of the Christians in that day, and so that'd be a little bit like us like in my sermon notes, I you might read my sermon notes and I have a little indented paragraph where I've quoted a verse from a popular Christian song or a hymn or something and said, that's why the hymn writer said, you know, it's well with my soul or something like that. So that's just a little aside for you. So this is a story of how the nation that succeeded Ishmael came to be. So this this is a a uh, editorial style that's meant to communicate with us not only what happened but what its implications are for the future because it's written in the past tense but in the present (laughs) okay so he says the angel supposedly said and he probably did say this but then when hagar's telling the story or ishmael's telling the story well mom always said the angel came and said and because they wanted these words to be remembered exactly as they were spoken, they turned it into a rhyme or into a song or something like that. How many times have you done that? You've been in nursing school and had to learn a lot of things and commit them to memory. How many of them did you learn by creating little mnemonics and right? The Bible's got lots of that in it. There's these mnemonics or these, these memory tricks where they're trying to boost the oral tradition by giving it to you in the form of a, rim, a rhyme or a song or something. So what's the angel say? Well, Ishmael is going to be the father uh, of of all of these people, and, and he's going to be the response that God gives you to your misery, but he's going to be like a wild donkey. You know, that's very polite. I guess I would have just said he's going to be a jackass. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers the way this is written in its editorial form, it's meant to communicate that this is not just about Ishmael, but about his descendants. It's about the whole clan that is born out of Ishmael. And we'll see proof of that as we go into this deeper. But isn't, isn't
1: this the precursor to the Amorites and the Hittites and all the, the bad guys in the Bible. No.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is, this, is, this is where we're headed. Yeah,
1: See, what I, what I don't understand is the way the angel says it, it sounds like it's a good thing.
0: Well, the yeah, thing is, well, I, okay, I want to correct one thing I, I agreed to just then. Like the Amorites, for example, or Amalekites, there are clans that will intermingle with this group, but they are actually um, an extension of what happens in Genesis 6. Okay? So there still are remnants of the Nephilim and all of that, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the really wild genetics and things that. But because that's where we get, like, Goliath and, and so forth. Yeah. Like Goliath is a descendant of the Amalekites, you know, and, and they still have some of those giants and, and strange characters. But this is essentially the birth of the Arab nation. I'll just spoil the ending for you and tell you that's where this is headed. But um, and then she names the place, you know, that the Lord heard me. So, um, okay, I'm my notes. That's
1: to- well, here a little bit, is, you know, the Lord wants us to spread Christianity, and yet it appears that he caused the birth of the muzzle.
0: But, but, yeah, really, I, that's, that's a great answer, because I mean, he basically said, because this has happened, this is what, this is what you can expect. You know, I, I always use this analogy, and if you've heard me use this before, I apologize for being redundant, but you know, if you've ever flown in an airplane at a commercial airliner at like 30, 35,000 feet, 25,000 feet, whatever. You know, I, I, always th- I always remember the time when I was flying from Texas to Seattle and we were flying over the Denver Boulder area and the pilot got on and he said, well, folks, it's unusually clear right now. You should look down because if you look over there on the left, you can see Boulder and just a few inches over to the right, that's Denver. <laughs> and i'm thinking wow i'm looking at boulder and denver you know in one simple view and then i realize i'm looking down and i'm watching you know little tiny cars on the highways and everything and it dawns on me you know when you're up in an airplane you can see things the people in the cars can't see you know you can see that they're headed for a big traffic jam about 10 miles up the road and there's nothing you can do for them because you're just looking out the window flying over at 600 miles an hour and you know but it's just like more often than not the things that God says are not really God's doing as much as they're just God's telling what God sees from God's perspective you know and so God says well since you guys have crafted this plan here's what's going to happen I can from my point of view I can see where this is headed yeah all right okay you know and uh There's a whole other theme that's become really big in my life lately because of some of my recent reading and without driving driving off the road here, it really has become clear to me that the kingdom of God as a concept is to say, if you had a world where everybody actually did what God said and subjected themselves to God's authority, then none of these things would happen. As it is, only a handful of us have committed ourselves to doing God's will and living according to God's leadership of our lives. And even then we do it in a flawed way. So everything about the world as we know it is sort of messed up, but not unredeemable. That's what's so remarkable. And I think that's what you're hearing here is, is, is uh, and, and one of the things Rabbi Lappin points out is that Ishmael is shown favor by God. He's recognized as a particularly interesting character that God has a certain favor with, even though his whole countenance is radically different from Isaac, let's say. And so that's all very interesting to me. Um, and, and so we have to jump ahead. Let's see, where's the next place that Ishmael appears? Because we, we don't really hear any more about um, Hagar. But then we get uh, down here to verse, uh, chapter 21, the birth of Isaac. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah and had said, the Lord did not, uh, and bleh, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. I don't know why I insist on using this Bible with small print that I can't read, but... <laughs> Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and the very time God had promised him, Abram gave the name Isaac. Isn't that interesting? At the very time that God had promised. So that sort of suggested that when they jumped the gun way back 14 years ago, 15 years ago, they knew God had a plan for the timing of the thing, that's sort of what I'm reading in there. That's kind of hinted there. When the son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, which, by the way, is what Isaac, his name means. And everyone who hears what, about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So even though people lived longer than, the one thing that's very clear is that these people are still way too old to have babies. Because, you know, that's being made really clear to us. So what, why do they name him Laughter. Because if I came to church some Sunday morning and said to you, you're not going to believe this. I was down at the hospital the other day visiting somebody. And this 90-year-old lady came through holding the baby she had just given birth to. How many of you, be honest, would laugh? What's the
1: punchline?
0: Yeah. Where are you going with this, Pastor Dan? No, I'm serious. (laughs) You know. And that's literally what this name means. That's what they're saying here is, my gosh, how could that happen? Now we get to verse um, 8. And here we're looking at chapter 21, verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking and she said to him, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for the woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son, Isaac. Now, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. And by the way, listen to how her, her name has changed. It's just slave woman. That's, that's all she is now and listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offering will be reckoned, offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Now I started to mention this earlier and I'm glad I waited. One of the ways you can tell that God blessed Ishmael is because he also was a son of Abraham. So he had this agreement with Abraham And so for Abraham's sake and for the sake of the covenant, which I think is the more important thing, because of the covenant that God had with Abraham, he's going to look after Ishmael. Even if it's, and I don't mean this literally, even if it's like half blessing, you know, because it's only Abraham that he's interested in. So early the next morning, Abraham took some food and skin of water and gave them to Hagar and he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch my boy die. And as she, uh, And there she sat and began to sob. Now God heard her crying. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his, uh, his, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Now, there's more that we want to read, but let's just unpack that for a couple of minutes. So, first of all, if you do the math, you find out that Ishmael's is probably about 15, 16 years old when Isaac's born. So... And as Isaac is starting to grow up, Sarah is becoming increasingly more uh, frustrated with the relationship between Isaac and Ishmael. She says that he's mocking Isaac. Well, Rabbi Lapin does this really wonderful word study in Hebrew, and I'll put this in the notes for you next week, but he does this great Hebrew word study. <clears throat> And basically demonstrates that what this is describing in the Hebrew language, which is what the language this would have been written in. You know, that's one thing about the Old Testament that we are getting from the Hebrew. We're getting the very language this was written in. And and whereas with the New Testament, you're usually getting translations. and, And yet that doesn't mean they're not accurate. But I'm just saying, you know, you can go back to the Old Testament. And you can figure things out with the Hebrew that'll tell you an abundance of truths. One of the things that's revealed there is that what is going on is that the older boy is robbing the younger boy of his innocence now i I can speak to this when I was a lad, um, I had older brothers, I had friends with older brothers and I got my innocence taken away way too soon. I mean, you know, I knew things, saw things, heard things that a boy that age should never have heard. Just how it is, it happens. There's nothing worse than a child having their innocence taken away. You know, just and what I mean by that is not to say. I mean, I just mean I. You know, I go I go to Boy Scout camp, and you know, some kid would bring dirty magazines or something. You know, I mean, it's stuff like that, and and. And it's like, you should never see stuff like that. You know, boys are just curious when they're young and they're just vulnerable, so I'll get out. And so The whole point I'm trying to make is, is not so much to tell my story, but to say, if you look at the Hebrew and you listen to the wording that's being carefully made here, and it, and it says right there, mocking has a notation by it in mine. And it basically says, um, let's see, and where is it? I've lost the reference well anyway i'll just tell you that what is being stated here indirectly is that the older boy is attempting to corrupt the younger boy he's taking him off and teaching him to smoke he's stealing beer from somebody's garage and giving it to the kid he's he's uh you know telling him dirty jokes and and uh You know, he's basically poisoning his mind with filth. That's what's going on here, and that kind of goes along with the description that the angel gave of him being, you know, a wild donkey, and yeah, you know, just just a coarse, rough character. Uh, I worked in the trucking industry for about 10 years. a couple of years after I got out of high school, a few years after I got out of high school, and you know, if I thought my innocence had been stolen when I was a lad, well, I got news for you, whatever was left to steal went away really fast in the trucking industry. There's some really filthy mouthed, rough people. I feel like I worked with Ishmaels in the trucking business. So I can really relate to what's being suggested here. This, This is a mother saying I don't want my son to have anything to do with that kid. How many of you would agree that children and young adults can go astray because of the crowd that they run with? And they can be corrected pretty rapidly by getting away from that same crowd? There was a young man who was the grandson of some people in my church in Sullivan who was just getting into trouble all the time and he kept running with the same crowd And I would talk with him and counsel with him. And he'd just go right back to doing the same old thing. And then his grandpa and I conspired to get him a job with one of the local coal mines. And he started working 12-hour shifts. And he worked night and day. And he worked six, seven days a week. And, you know, he's a fine young man with a nice family right now. And his habits changed overnight. You know why? He didn't have time to do anything but sleep when he got off work. And it was the best thing for him. Isn't it funny how just changing the company you keep can make such a difference? And by the way, as Christians, it's important for us to remember that we are to be the better company that people keep. In other words, we're supposed to be different from the world around us. It doesn't mean that we don't have our humanness all The illustration I can think of in the moment may not be the best one, especially to have it recorded, but I don't see a problem with you having a cold beer with me or me having a cold beer with you. But if I'm out getting drunk and carousing and acting like a fool and driving recklessly and all that, then I'm no different from the rest of you. So, you know, all, of, all the only point I'm trying to make is, is that, that there's nothing wrong with being a thoroughly human Christian, but we're supposed to be the difference we'd be the one that says, you know, I think one's enough for any of us right now. I mean, you know, and so the point here is, is that Sarah's right again. This has to change. It has to change right now, because this boy has a very important future to fulfill. And this other boy is messing with his mind. And I would give anything in the world to try to, you know, to be able to visualize what my life, like might have been like, If some of the corrupting influences hadn't applied themselves in my life at such a young age, you know, it's just I've always thought about that. Like, gosh. You know, and so this is this is what's going on here, and and that's what really is is happening. And so Ishmael, once again, is promised that he's gonna be a big nation. And here's the other thing I found really interesting. If you notice the angel addresses Ishmael's problem, not Hagar's problem. Why? because Ishmael is Abraham's son. So once again, the significance is that Ishmael is Abraham's son, and I have a covenant with Abraham. Therefore, this boy is not going to die. There's some fascinating things in this part of the story that we can come back to next week, but, but look at some things. Isn't, what a strange reference about a bow shot away. Who says that? Think about it. You know, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, he's just a kid at this time. He's not an archer necessarily. He's a young man. I guess he might have been a good archer in those days. But isn't it interesting that they use that kind of reference? Like Rabbi Lappin says, that's kind of like somebody saying, you know, you, you're stopped at, at a corner and somebody says, hey, how far is it from here to Shiloh Church? Well, it's about as far as uh, 357 Magnum would shoot. <laughs> Who says things like that? So he's gonna argue, and I'll try to show you where he gets it. Uh, he's gonna argue that there's something sort of warlike about this culture because they, use, they, they speak in those, la- in those terms, that, that it's not an accident. Hmm. Nothing you read in scripture is, but it's not an accident that this is the reference that they use to illustrate how far they were apart. The other thing you notice is, is This is Hagar, who didn't know where she was going, only that she didn't want to be where she was. And now she's out again, and what does she do with her baby? Her little boy, her son. Now, he's he's older, you know, he's maybe 17, 18, 19 years old. This is her little guy, but he's a young man. But just the same, she's decided that she doesn't want to watch him die. She's just going to leave him to his own... What does that say about her? Put yourself in her shoes. If you've got your, your young adult son, teenage son with you and you've both been cast into the desert to live or die on your own wits and, and, you know, would you say, son, I can see that you're really tired and exhausted and on the brink of death, I'm just gonna leave you here under this bush and I'm gonna go over here because I don't want anything to do with this. I don't even wanna watch. I mean, really, would any of us do that? No. You know, wouldn't you, under the same circumstances, probably hold your child until the very last? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what we do, right, as parents? And, And it's like, you know, you want to comfort them in this terrible moment. Something is weird about the way she is approaching this impending death. And then the angel says, where's the boy? I'm going to take care of the boy. And that sort of tells you something, too. So I'm not trying to paint Hagar out to be a bad person, but she certainly seems to be messed up. And so what have we learned so far? Well, God's going to take care of Ishmael and his descendants because of his connection with Abraham. But he doesn't seem to care that much about what happens to Hagar. You know, I mean...
1: Did I? Am I missing something here? If I read right, Hagar's dad was Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Right? Mm -hmm. Why would she be a maidservant to someone like Sarah?
0: Well, we we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and the interpretation that seems to work best is this is something that even today people in high position. Or in a wealthy home sophisticated people blue bloods whatever you want to call them one of the things they like to do is send their children to live in the households of people they really admire so that they can pick up some of their culture and this is a way to get them to be you know better developed you know Um, so you know if I was raising up my child and I wanted my child to, because I admired you and Twyla so much, I wanted to see if you'd keep her for a six months or whatever and, and treat him like your own child. It would be because I thought maybe that they could, you know, something good would rub off on them. So the implication is, is that Pharaoh, and you, you have to look back to the stories that predate where we started reading, because prior to the story that we're reading right now, Abraham had some significant interaction with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's actually got a tremendous amount of respect for Abraham's God. And that's one of the reasons Pharaoh was so bent out of shape when Abraham tried to pull a fast one, because he didn't want, Pharaoh didn't want Abraham's God to punish him. That's how much he respected him. So there's a whole indication there that the reason she's been sent to, to uh, Abraham's household is for her betterment, but it seems like her real nature came out instead. So... 701, my friends. Does anybody feel inspired to give us a closing prayer? George isn't here tonight. Thank you.
3: Dear Father, thank you for giving us the ability to congregate together tonight and speak of your word and to learn more and more each time that we meet together. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Please be with those who need you the most. Please hear the prayers and thank you so much for everything that you've given to us.
0: In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great evening. God bless you.